Let LeVar Burton transport you to new worlds on LeVar Burton Reads. Every week, LeVar blends immersive soundscapes and his iconic narration style and hand-picked mystery, fantasy, and sci-fi stories from famous authors like Octavia Butler, Neil Gaiman, and Ray Bradbury. It'll captivate your imagination in an entirely new way. Find LeVar Burton Reads in your podcast app and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. This week on Myths and Legends, we're starting the story of Robin Hood, the famous British outlaw, and you'll see how, in 11th century Britain, hand-to-hand combat was apparently a prereq for any NBA program, and how there's virtually no problem that can't be solved by shooting arrows at it. The creature this week is the reason why you want to be polite to those footsteps that are following you in the darkness. This is Myths and Legends, episode 141A, Mary. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. Can you believe it? We're finally here. Robin Hood. Before we get into it, I have to say that the stories of Robin Hood are pretty unlike the bulk of the tales we tell in this podcast. It's interesting. Take King Arthur, for example, or Greek and Norse mythology. When people from the 1700s and onward translated and shared those stories, the basic narratives stayed somewhat close to the originals. Sure, they were a product of their time and included some degree of variance, but all in all, they were essentially retellings. Not so with Robin Hood. Robin Hood's different because the story that circulated later, the one that's pretty much considered canon, is remarkably different from the originals. You'll quickly see that Robin 1.0 is a far cry from the merry noble outlaw who stole from the rich and gave to the poor. We will absolutely get to the more popular versions of Robin in time, but today, we're starting with the originals. In the dark, gritty world of 11th century Britain, it's about 500 years after King Arthur's legendary rule, and the Saxons, people Arthur spent his life fighting, are now in leadership, although they themselves have just been conquered by the Normans, the descendants of the Norse Viking settlers of, well, Normandy, what is now a region in northern France. We start today's story with an 18-year-old Robin sitting around with his new friend, a not-so-little man by the name of John, as they watch a merchant rolling through Sherwood Forest and contemplate stealing from the not-so-rich and giving to, well, themselves. What does he think he's doing? Robin remarked, turning to the wall of man next to him. This is clearly a dangerous forest and that potter's just strolling along, not a care in the world, and he's got a wagon full of goods with him. Next to Robin, little John grinned. (laughs) Yeah, doesn't he know people get robbed in this forest? Hey, 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 whoa, 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 taxes. We charge a small tax for protecting people as they make their way through the forest. It's all on the up and up, Robin corrected. Whatever, we robbing this guy or what? Little John asked, rising. Yeah, sure. Robin replied. He put his hand on Little John's shoulder, which was almost at eye level. Little John stood a good seven feet tall. With a smirk, Robin stepped past his friend. He had this one. Little John shrugged and plucked an apple off a nearby tree. Whatever. As long as they got paid. Then he paused. Forty shillings? Forty what? Forty shillings you can't get this guy to pay up on your own. 
Little John said, through a crunch of his apple. Robin laughed and took the bet, but Little John looked at Robin's bow and shook his head. Alive. Robin glared at John and tossed the bow to the ground, taking his staff instead. You catch more flies with honey than vinegar anyway, he spouted, before leaping down from the rock and taking his place in the center of the road. Little John rolled his eyes and bit into his apple. With a smile, Robin flagged down the potter in the wagon. It was easy, really. There was only one road through that part of Sherwood Forest, and to call it a road was pretty generous, as it was just two dirty wheel ruts in the grass. As such, it was nearly impossible for the potter to take his horse and the wagon off-road, and so the potter slowed to a halt. Robin walked up and grabbed the horse's reins. The potter was glancing around the forest when Robin whistled. He was down here. He wasn't sure if the potter knew it, but Sherwood Forest was a dangerous place. Fortunately, Robin was one of the men that made it less dangerous. It was a hard, thankless job, but they had levied a small tax on travelers to help keep the forest safe. Robin knew the potter had business that took him through the forest frequently, and it was time to pay up. After that, the potter could be on his way. No, the potter replied, and stepped down from the wagon. <sighs> Robin sighed. Come on, man. It was a small tax. Just pay up and you can continue on with your boring little life. But the potter corrected the outlaw. It wasn't a tax. The kid was nothing but a thief. And his life might be boring, but at least he had all his teeth. Robin furrowed his brow. He was about to say that this was the 11th century. No one had all their teeth. But the potter's staff cracked him across the face. He stammered, completely shocked, but recovered enough to go full on no more Mr. Nice outlaw. Instinctively, he drew his sword from his side. But the potter was ready. With another crack to Robin's right wrist, the sword clattered uselessly on a rock 30 feet away. Robin turned back wide-eyed after watching his sword fall way too far away for him to retrieve, only to see his own feet fly up as the potter swept his legs. The potter worked the face a few more times before starting in on the body. Content that Robin was sufficiently subdued, he dragged the outlaw from a wheel rut onto the grass, and that's when he felt a hand on his cloak. <sighs> Took you long enough, Robin managed, spitting out blood and, yes, a tooth. I thought you could turn it around, Little John said with a smile, before turning his attention to the potter, who he had lifted two feet in the air, so the man was now eye to eye. Flinging the staff away, Little John shook his head. The potter should have taken the easier option. Should have paid a little, when his friend Robin here asked nicely. By the way, he added, turning to Robin, that whole catching flies with honey thing? Not true. Vinegar works better every time. Little John looked back to the potter. Literally and figuratively, he slapped the potter across the face with his open hand. Now, what would the potter do to make it right? The potter reached into his pocket to bring out a handful of shillings. He pay the men, please. What would the potter do to make it right? Little John asked again, with a slight shake of his head. The potter's gaze darted to the wagon. They could have some of his pottery, as much as they wanted. What would the potter do? to make it right. The potter looked with panic at the two outlaws. Seriously, what did they want? I want his clothes, Robin blurted, 
already untying his own shirt. To borrow. And the wagon. We're borrowing that too. But not the pottery. We're taking that. John, please. Will you let our guest down so I can borrow his clothes? Robin turned to the potter, who was starting to shakily undress, explaining that he would be taking the potter's wagon and goods into Nottingham. He would sell the goods and then come back with the wagon while the potter stayed for free under the protection of their band. If the potter had a problem with this, he should take it up with the sheriff. When Robin was dressed, little John put a hand on his shoulder. What was he doing? He couldn't go to Nottingham. They knew his face. Robin smirked. He knew his face was unforgettable, but that was three years ago, and it had only been one afternoon. The sheriff barely got a glimpse of him, and besides, with the potter's help, he gestured to his fat lip and swollen cheek, he looked even more different from normal. It was all good. Little John sighed. Be careful, Robin, he said. While he may be moderately terrible at robbing potters, the men looked up to him. Little John didn't want to think about what would happen if Robin didn't come back. Smiling, Robin assured him that he would be back, and he would bring a solution to all their problems with him. With a nod, he leapt atop the wagon and drove it towards Nottingham, the city that he hadn't been to in three years, since the first time he'd arrived in these lands. It was the day of the contest. Three years ago, the then 15-year-old Robin wiped beer from his mouth and slammed the money down on the table. He wanted in. 20 marks that he'd hit the heart on his first try. There were 15 foresters there in Nottingham, all completing in the archery contest before the king. It was a big deal. So big a deal that a 15-year-old nobody wouldn't be able to compete. They looked at the longbow strung over his shoulder. Who'd he steal that from? The boy shrugged and waited for another beer. If he couldn't pull back a bow, it should be an easy 20 marks, right? One of the foresters said that it would be up to the sheriff if the boy could even compete. But they'd take his money. One deer, a hundred rods away, one arrow out of that bow. Done. The boy finished draining his second ale and pushed the money over to the group of seasoned archers. He trusted them. They could borrow that for a bit, but he'd be needing it back later. The group of foresters sneered as they counted their money. As it turned out, there was nothing in the rules expressly forbidding a 15-year-old to compete before the king. So the 15-year-old was admitted to the contest. The men would get to shooting, but first, they wanted to see this kid fail. It wasn't long before the boy, with an entourage of 15 archers, found a deer. He whispered to the man behind him, Did that look like a hundred rods? because to the boy it looked like 110. He shrugged, notched an arrow, and let it fly. The foresters didn't know what was more impressive, the fact that this kid could handle pulling back the longbow faster than anyone they had ever seen, or that the arrow went straight through the heart's ribs, hitting its heart at 110 rods. The boy exhaled, dropped his bow to his side, and turned to the foresters. All right, he'd be taking his 20 marks back now, with an additional 20 from all of them but the lead forester chuckled. Sure, they'd get them when they went back to town. Right now they were in the middle of competing before the king. The boy corrected him. No, they were in the middle of a bet, which they lost, by the way, so they would be paying up. Now. 
Forrester put his hands on his hips. Okay, kid. Here's the deal. It was a lucky shot. But we're not going to pay 20 marks to a 15-year-old who shouldn't have even been here in the first place. If the boy ran into the forest now, they'd leave him with his teeth. Deal? The boy sighed, and he notched an arrow. None of the foresters were fast enough. Some tried to ready their own bows. Some reached for the daggers on their belts. Others ran. But the boy's arrows found each of their hearts, until, finally, the lead archer stood shaking in the clearing. Am I a bad shot? The boy asked the forester as he yanked an arrow from one of the man's dead friends. You said I was lucky, which would imply that I was bad. So how about this? You run out a hundred rods, and if I'm only lucky, and I miss, you live. If I'm as good as a shot as I think I am, you won't. Deal? The forester didn't need any extra incentive to run from the scene. He'd watched all of his friends die in the last minute. He'd take his chances at a hundred rods. As soon as he turned, the boy shot him in the back at five rods. These men wanted him to stick to his word. They probably should have stuck to their own. He went to work, but he was only able to loot a few dozen marks off the bodies before the first of the sheriff's horses crested the hill. There had been a lot of screaming for a royal hunt, so it didn't surprise Robin that the sheriff of Nottingham was coming for him. He only wished he had more time. He guessed the bet might go this way, so he picked a spot close to the forest. He had come all this way, and now he had found it. Sherwood Forest. By the time the sheriff's men rode to the tree-lined edge, the boy had disappeared into the famous forest for the first time. Back at Nottingham, Orb was just starting to filter in. They were dead, all of them. Fifteen of the king's best archers had been killed by one boy. The sheriff pulled one of the royal organizers aside and asked to look at the rolls. What was the boy's name? Who was he? The man shrugged. They had no idea who he was. All they had was a name. Robin. Robin Hood. We'll learn what happens to Robin on his first trip back to Nottingham in three years, but that will be read after this. This week's episode is brought to you by Bombas. Clouds. Kittens. Pillows. Bombas socks. All of them are soft, but there's really only one that you can wrap around your foot and shove into a shoe. With Bombas socks, you actually think about your socks, but in the best way possible. And on days when you aren't wearing Bombas, you're aware that you're not wearing Bombas. You'll miss their comfort, their arch support, that seamless toe, the cushioned footbed. I love that there's a Bombas for every occasion. They come in so many colors, patterns, lengths, and styles that they work for the gym, office, out of town, and yes, even work from home podcasting. Yep. Best of all, for every Bombas purchase you make, Bombas donates a pair to someone in need. We actually took hundreds of socks to a local homeless shelter on behalf of Bombas, and the people at the shelter told us that socks are one of the things they need most. So it's cool that Bombas is helping to make a difference. Whether it's for style, comfort, quality, or their philanthropic mission, buy your Bombas at bombas.com legends today and get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash legends for 20% off. Bombas.com slash legends. Alarm, the willies, heebie-jeebies, panic. There are dozens of words for fear. 
but just one for exceptional home security. Simply Safe. This is home security that knows it feels good to fear less. I've personally been a happy Simply Safe customer for over three years at this point, and this is honestly a really easy endorsement. We've used them now at two different houses, and it's easy to see why. They provide award-winning 24-7 protection with no hidden fees, no gotchas. Their pricing is super transparent and fair, and they don't lock you in with a contract. I've called their customer service before, and they've been great. Need proof they're the best? Simply Safe is a two-time winner of the Cena Editor's Choice, a Wirecutter Top Pick, Reader's Choice winner from PC Magazine, and even The Verge says they're the best home security. Personally, I love having peace of mind with a home security system, partnered with the ease and simplicity of Simply Safe. Fear has no place in a place like home. Try Simply Safe today with free shipping and free returns. You'll get a 60-day risk-free trial too. Order now and have your home protected within a week at simplysafe.com/legends. That's simplysafe.com/legends. Be sure to go there so that they know that we sent you. All right, now back to the show. Pots, get your pots, the potter shouted as he pulled into the shadow of Nottingham Castle. The crowds continued to walk right by. He stopped someone. Hey, hey you, what would you pay for this pot? Like, rock bottom price. The man thought about it, muttered something about 10 pence, and then jerked his arm away and continued on his way. Robin the potter shrugged and began shouting that all the pots were now on sale for five pence. That got the attention of everyone in the square. As the pots flew off the cart, Robin had to hand it to the potter for his craftsmanship. He took the money, way more than he was hoping to bank for their little tax, and he watched the pots go to happy homes. He made a mental note to save one or two, and that's when he felt a tap on his shoulder. Turning, he found himself staring straight into the face of a policeman. And where'd you get these? The officer demanded. Robin looked at the pots matter-of-factly. He made them. If the policeman couldn't tell by his clothes and horse, he was a potter. The policeman remarked that he must also be a terrible businessman because he was selling the pots for less than the price of the clay. Robin shrugged. Was being a bad businessman against the law? Regardless, they could talk all day about profits and losses and boring stuff, or these two nice policemen could get a quality pot for next to nothing. Did they want to keep talking, or did they like free stuff? The policemen pursed their lips and held up two fingers each. They'd take two. With a smile, Robin handed them three each and helped them on their way. As soon as they were gone, he heard the voice of the reason he had come. It was her. A middle-aged woman emerged from a nearby house, saying that she loved what she saw. How much? Robin sauntered over with no small degree of swagger. For a beautiful young woman like herself, how did free sound? She blushed and laughed. Well, wasn't he nice? She'd take his last three items then. For his kindness, would he like to come over for dinner that night? Robin grinned and closed up shop for the day. Mission accomplished. Yes, he would love to. That evening, the archer-slash-outlaw-slash-failed-pottery-small-business owner sat skewering another chunk of pot roast right across the table from the sheriff of Nottingham. The sheriff sneered. It was very nice of his wife to invite a potter to dinner at their table. 
It was very nice of the kind young man to gift pottery for free, the sheriff's wife replied with a stern look. The sheriff gave the guest a polite, fake smile. Yeah, free things were always nice. Robin the potter gave an acknowledging nod and looked around the room. He wasn't the only guest that evening. There was also a few of the sheriff's men there as well, and they were going on and on about an upcoming archery competition. <laughs> Hope it goes better than the last one, Robin remarked while dipping his bread in some sauce. The table stopped dead. What did a potter from out of town know about the last archery contest? Robin shrugged. Just what everyone in the kingdom knew. It was a bloodbath, apparently. Everyone died, well, except for one. Right? The guy escaped into the forest and the sheriff still hadn't caught him? Robin froze and apologized with as much sincerity as he could manage. He was sorry. He had forgotten who he was dining with. The sheriff shook his head. No, no, it was his responsibility to bring Robin Hood to justice, and so far, he had failed. The potter smiled. Oh, they knew his name. Hmm. Hey, he lit up, turning to the sheriff's men. You have another competition coming up. Want to practice? And so, immediately following dinner, Robin, the sheriff of Nottingham, and a half dozen of the sheriff's men lined up outside on the range, bows in hand. The potter had gone to his wagon and retrieved his own bow, a long bow. The sheriff studied the young man as he pulled back the bow and let an arrow fly. It hit the center of a target, over and over again. The sheriff nodded approvingly and walked over. And who taught a simple potter to shoot like that? With a smile, Robin turned to the sheriff. Well, Robin Hood. The party stopped, all eyes glued to the potter, and the potter continued. He knew the man as Robert, but yeah, he lived in Sherwood Forest with a band of men. The potter was always crossing through the forest, and they were nice at first, but their stupid little tax was going up. One night, it was late, and the potter was passing through. Well, he was allowed to stay that night at their camp, and Robin gave him some pointers on his shooting. In the morning, Robin actually gave him his longbow, saying that he had dozens, and sent him on his way. The problem? He charged the potter double for the longbow the next time he passed through. That was actually why he was here today, why he had given the sheriff's wife pots for free, he wanted an invitation to this house so he could sell them the location of Robin Hood's camp and go back to passing through the forest like he did before. Robin, in the guise of the potter, immediately had everyone's attention on the range. The sheriff had been barely hanging on to his position by a thread ever since that fateful day three years ago when 15 men died on his watch right in the presence of the king and the murderer escaped. It didn't get better either. There had always been outlaws in Sherwood Forest there were outlaws in every forest who robbed travelers and hunted the king's deer and just made life difficult for the honest, hardworking people of the world. After Robin escaped into this forest, though, the wilderness around Nottingham changed. The outlaws seemed to be everywhere and nowhere. They would hit groups of travelers hard and then disappear like smoke. They were better organized, better shots, and unrelenting. But now, they had apparently angered the wrong potter. The sheriff had the upper hand. With this information, he would have Robin Hood dead to rights. Naturally, the sheriff followed the potter. In fact, 
He wasted no time setting out at that very hour for Sherwood Forest, taking whichever men at his party would want to go, which was all the men. There were only seven of them, not including the potter, but the potter assured him that Robin only had five or six men himself. Once the sheriff got the drop on the leader, it would all be over. Now, he was in the forest, and as he crept up on the man sitting by the fire, wearing Robin Hood's trademark green, the sheriff could only smile. The sheriff's men were fanning out now to keep any from getting away. The potter pointed at the man by the fire and nodded before dropping behind the sheriff. The sheriff took out his dagger and announced that he had the man. Surrender. When the man stood, the sheriff could see a couple of things. One, life in the forest had been rough on the 18-year-old. He looked about 10 years older than that. And two, the sheriff had the infamous Robin Hood. All the man had in his hand was a staff. The potter, the real potter wearing the clothes of Robin Hood, narrowed his eyes and charged the sheriff. In seconds, the sheriff's dagger was on the ground 20 paces away, and the sheriff lay on the ground before the potter, the sheriff's teeth being a good bit looser from the staff-related blunt force trauma. Robin Hood winced. Yeah, he knew that feel. A crashing came through the forest surrounding the campfire as the seven-foot-tall little John bounded in, saying that, you know, a little warning that he was dragging half the police force in Nottingham out into the forest would have been... Wait, was that the sheriff? Robin, who was already binding him, nodded. Oh, yeah. Robin turned to the potter. As promised, he could report this morning's events to the sheriff, though the sheriff might have a few words with him now. The potter pursed his lips. The sheriff glared at Robin and Little John as more men came from the forest. There was a friar who nodded at the sheriff, a man named Much and others. The men encircled the sheriff as Robin told Much to get the white palfrey, the beautiful white horse they had picked up a while back. Robin looked at the sheriff. His men weren't harmed, not much. They were just relieved of their weapons and sent back to Nottingham. The sheriff of Nottingham would have a, a similar sort of arrangement. In fact he would be going back with something. The white horse entered the area by the campfire, and little John wrenched the sheriff to his feet. Robin took a few steps closer. Oh, one quick thing, he added. When he said he'd be sending the sheriff away with something, it was really only a net positive, because he would be taking the sheriff's weapons and clothes. As Robin used the sheriff's own dagger to cut the clothes off around the ropes, he asked the sheriff if he would ever set foot in Sherwood Forest again. It took Robin helpfully grabbing him by the hair and pressing the dagger to his throat for him to say that no, no he would not. He would never enter Sherwood Forest again. Not in a thousand years. <laughs> Robin smiled. Was that so difficult? Now, some quick things before the sheriff leaves. The palfrey was for the sheriff's beautiful wife. She'd know what it was for, Robin replied with a wink. And two, the sheriff was gonna wanna start running. As Robin talked, much looped the other side of the rope that bound the sheriff's wrists to the white palfrey saddle, and as soon as Robin finished, little John smacked the horse's haunches. The palfrey neighed and bolted, and the barefoot, naked sheriff gasped and sprinted along behind him, soon disappearing back on the road to Nottingham. Robin turned to the potter next. His horse and cart were parked on the edge of the forest. He probably wanted to avoid selling in Nottingham for a while, you know after beating the sheriff senseless. The potter put on his clothes and asked about any money from the pottery. 
that was months of work that Robin took to town. Robin sighed, and he turned to Much. Ten, he said, gesturing to the potter. Ten? Ten gold? Much said in shock. Yes, ten. Now. Much grumbled and reached down to his belt, taking a small bag and tossing it to the potter. There. The potter's eyes went wide. This, this was like 50 times what he could have ever sold these pots for. Thanks for your help, Robin said, and directed the beaming potter toward his wagon. Just before the potter disappeared, he called out that he would be happy to help out in any way the next time he traveled through Sherwood Forest. Likewise, Robin replied with a smile. Why'd you do that? Little John asked. That was what they made this month. Robin shrugged. With the sheriff off their backs, it'd be easy to make double that. And seriously, they wanted that guy on their side. Who even was he? Robin said. He handled both the sheriff and me with just a staff. He'd probably get you too, in a fair fight. <sighs> yeah, who fights fair? Little John said with a smile, as Robin Hood and his men made their way back to camp. The sheriff, luckily, didn't trip on his way back to town, and an hour after the slap that started the sprint, he was back in Nottingham, trailing naked behind a white horse and creating a PR nightmare. His wife chuckled when he returned. <laughs> it looks like they paid for those pots after all, but the sheriff of Nottingham wasn't laughing. He would honor his word. He'd stay out of the forest, partially because he hated the forest, and partially because now it was personal. That night... He stood in the shadows outside an inn, waiting. His contact had put him in touch with someone who could solve his problem. The sheriff tossed a bag of money into the shadows, and a voice replied that it would be done. Robin Hood's head would be on a stake within a month, or his name was in Guy of Gisborne. Next week, the early adventures of Robin Hood will continue as the famous outlaw finds himself going up against some actual threats from some seriously deadly people, and will find him making the vow that will make him famous. I want to say thanks to Burry Ram Toracom, Emerald Smile, Horatio Hornblower 7687, Becca A, Storkman 14, 95 Smiles, Captain Swiftknife, Zeldy, Richie Janukowitz, Cola Bear Jess, Seabittle 12, Andrea J. Nicole, Atomic Coke, Probably don't want to drink that one. A.G. Noli Bear and Grimstone Grizzle. Further reviews on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much. And if you'd like to leave a review, Apple Podcasts is still the best place. And you can find the show there at apple.mythpodcast.com. There is also a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of bacon-flavored floss, you can get extra episodes, source pack ebooks, and ad-free versions of the show that will not give you all the sensations of flossing, but still leave your breath smelling of bacon. Check out support.mythpodcast.com for more info on the membership. The creature this week is Beto Beto-san, from Japanese folklore. You're walking alone at night, or you think you're alone. The street is dark, and you start to hear footsteps behind you. You turn, and there's nothing but an empty street. You resume your walk, but once again, you start to hear footsteps trailing behind you in the dark. You speed up, and so do they. You run, and they also run. You stop, 
and they stop. There's seemingly no escape, except by being polite. If you find yourself being trailed by phantom footsteps, either it's one of like 50 creatures we've covered on this podcast and you're absolutely about to get eaten, or it's Beto Beto-san. Mr. Footsteps. Beto Beto-san is basically Mr. or Mrs. or Miss Footsteps, or the Honorable Footsteps, since San is gender neutral. In Japan, Beto is an onomatopoeia for the sound that footsteps make, and San is an honorary title. In this case, it's for footsteps. The creature is invisible, but famous manga author Shigeru Mizuki reportedly had a run-in with this creature in his youth, and he included it in his comics, transforming it from one of the more obscure creatures to one of the most popular ones in Japan. His depiction generally shows a giant circle with legs and a grinning mouth, and kids apparently love it, this rotund little monster that feeds on your fear. The bad news is, if you hear it, you're already its victim. The good news? The Beto san doesn't really hurt you at all, like I said, it only feeds on your fear. Once you realize that it's not like a sickle weasel that's going to cut off your legs or, you know, any type of cat that's going to eat you and take over your life, all you have to do is step to the side and say, after you, Beto-Beto-san. I'm not sure whether the creature is bound by politeness and must continue on, or if it's just that you aren't scared anymore. So there's no reason to keep following you. You know, the buffet is closed. And so you'll hear the footsteps trail off in front of you, looking for another terrified soul on which to feed. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more music in the show notes, and I want to say thanks again to Simply Safe for sponsoring us this week. It's important to feel safe at home. Simply Safe knows this. That's why they developed a security system that keeps working if the power goes out if the Wi-Fi goes down, or even if a burglar smashes your keypad. They also have some of the fastest response times in the industry, ready to send help 24-7 if there's an emergency. Go to simplysafe.com legends to check it out. That's simplysafe.com legends. All right, thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>